Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. Oh, the scrapes Nancy Drew gets herself into. At the beginning of this episode, we find Nancy gagged and bound hand and foot as a captive of three scoundrels, Tom Tozzle, Bud Mason, and that mean Mary Mason, who seems to have a personal antipathy toward Nancy. How can she ever extricate herself from their clutches? Here is the final, exciting segment of Nancy Drew in The Mystery at Lilac Inn. Now, this book can only remain on the podcast until December 31st, 2023. But never fear, we can bring it back again on January 1st, 2026, when it enters the public domain. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew and the Mystery at Lilac Inn Chapter 21 Down the River It was not until the motorboat was well underway that Nancy Drew received the slightest attention from her captors. Powerless to help herself, she lay where she had fallen in the bottom of the boat. The shawl, which in a measure had protected her from the storm, had slipped from her head and shoulders and she was subjected to severe discomfort from the pelting rain. Though Mary, who was well protected by a slicker, stood only a few feet away, she did not make a move to help Nancy. Rather, she seemed to take pleasure in seeing the girl uncomfortable. Through a blinding wall of rain, the motorboat rushed downstream. Tom Tozzle stood grimly at the wheel, his head thrown back in a defiant attitude. The swirling, rushing water beat against the sides of the little craft, occasionally sweeping over the gunwale. Though the current was incredibly swift, the rivermen applied more power with reckless abandonment. The boat fairly shot through the water. "'Aren't we going pretty fast?' Bud ventured doubtfully. Tom laughed derisively. "'Ha!' I know this old river like a book, but we might run into something. Tom Tozzle made no response, but neither did he reduce the speed of the boat. For obvious reasons, the conspirators were cruising without lights, save for a small one in the cabin, and Nancy Drew knew that this added to the danger of the voyage. She wondered where the mad race would end, perhaps in a crash against a floating tree or log. It was not until she was thoroughly drenched by the rain that Bud came over to where she was lying and helped her to her feet. "'You may as well be inside,' he said gruffly, shoving her into a tiny cabin. "'Getting mighty thoughtful of our prisoner, aren't you?' Mary inquired sarcastically as she followed the two inside. "'Well, Carson Drew won't pay us a cent if she dies of pneumonia,' he defended himself. "'How about the gag?' Hadn't we better take it out of her mouth? And have her calling out for help when we pass the first boat? Not much. She's liable to strangle with that thing rammed down her throat. Here, this'll do just as well, and it'll be a lot more comfortable. He took a clean handkerchief from his pocket, and folding it several times, tied it across Nancy's mouth. She shot him a grateful glance as he removed the old gag. She'll slip that thing off, Mary protested. 
It seemed to Nancy that the girl was bent on torturing her as much as possible, and was infuriated because her brother was attempting to make her a trifle more comfortable. I've tied it good and tight, but assured Mary. Anyway, you can stay here and keep your eye on her. No need to stand out in the rain. Tom and I'll keep watch. The two girls left alone together. Mary faced her prisoner with undisguised hatred. Thought you'd be smart, didn't you? She sneered. Well, I guess this'll teach you a lesson. Unable to make a retort, Nancy coldly turned her back. But even this did not stop the girl, for she was bent upon gloating over her victim. Ha! You're a great detective, she jeered. You found out a few things, but a lot of good it'll do you. After this experience, you'll be glad to give up the snooping business. Nancy Drew's eyes flashed fire. Though she was not one to give vent to rage, it seemed to her that if her hands were free, she would certainly fly at Mary Mason. Wouldn't she give plenty to get your hands on the Crandall jewels? The girl went on boastfully. Well, you never will, and you're sitting not six feet from them this minute. Nancy's anger flickered away in an instant. She was startled at this information, which Mary had dropped unwittingly. But she tried not to betray her interest in what the girl was saying. From her hiding place in the storeroom, she had heard Tom Tozzle mention that the jewels had been hidden in a secret compartment of the motorboat. Probably they were now in the very cabin where she was imprisoned. If only Mary Mason would go on and tell her the location of the secret compartment. However, the girl said no more about the jewels. She realized that already she had told too much. Involuntarily, Nancy's eyes swept the little cabin. If only she could think of a way to save the Crandall jewels. From the conversation which had taken place inside the old house, she knew that some of the stones had already been disposed of through unscrupulous fences and pawnbrokers, but it was certain that the bulk of the Crandall inheritance remained intact. Mary, studying her victim fixedly, thought she read the girl's mind. Don't worry, you'll never get away, she gloated. What's more, you'll never see those jewels. I... I was only joking when I said they were hidden in here. Tom has them. She's lying, Nancy told herself. Five thousand dollars worth of the jewels have already been sold, Mary went on. And it won't be hard to get rid of the other diamonds. I intend to live high. She strutted across the cabin and preened before a mirror, smoothing out a wrinkle from the silk dress which she wore. In disgust, Nancy again turned her back. After a few minutes, Mary sat down in a chair and tried to interest herself in an old paper which she found on the table. After reading less than a column, she tossed it down impatiently and went to the window. Nancy thought that the storm must be steadily increasing in violence, for the motorboat was pitching and tossing on the water like a wild thing. Mary opened the window for an instant, and a sheet of rain and flying scud came through the aperture. This is terrible, the girl muttered. After pacing up and down the cabin, she again seated herself. Nancy noted that the color had faded from her face and guessed the reason. Presently, Mary buried her head in her hands and gave a little shiver of revulsion. Oh, I'm getting sick. Nancy had not been disturbed by the rocking motion of the boat. Though she had made many voyages, including one ocean trip. She had never been seasick in her life. Nevertheless, she was far from comfortable as she sat in the stuffy little cabin. Her clothing, which was thoroughly wet, clung tightly to her body, and the gag bothered her a great deal. As Mary's discomfort increased, she began to carry on a great deal. Finally, she slumped down on an old cot at one end of the cabin, and save for an occasional groan, remained quiet. Now is my chance, Nancy told herself grimly. Taking care not to make a sound which might arouse the girl, she wriggled about in her chair and tried to free her hands from the cords. 
In vain she struggled. It was impossible to loosen her bonds. At last she gave up in despair. Even more than before she realized the hopelessness of her situation. Should anything happen to the motorboat, she was entirely at the mercy of her captors. And from the indications, they would not care what became of her anyway. While Nancy Drew was occupied with unpleasant meditation, Bud Mason came staggering into the cabin. He gave a little groan and sank down into the nearest chair. Mary stirred on the cot and glanced up at him. What's the matter? she asked listlessly. Cut, you see, I'm seasick. I wish this old tub would stop rocking. I'm about under myself. Why doesn't Tom tie up? That old seahorse, he likes this kind of weather. Tell him we've got to tie up. I can't stand this rocking much longer. I'll see what he has to say, Bud mumbled and went out of the cabin. Above the roar of the storm, Nancy caught the sound of angry voices and knew that the two men were arguing. Evidently, Tom Tozzle was unwilling to halt. This Bud confirmed when he returned to the cabin a few minutes later. Well, what did he say? Mary demanded impatiently. Nothing doing. He says we're going to get a hundred miles down the river before we stop. I wish he'd get sick, the stubborn fool, Mary flared indignantly. Who does he think he is running this affair anyway? Well, he's running the boat, at least. I wouldn't want the job of trying it. As Bud finished speaking, the motorboat gave a sudden swerve, which sent him reeling against the table. We nearly struck something that time, he cried excitedly. Rushing to the window, he looked out into the storm and was just in time to see a large yacht steam by. We might have been run down, he exclaimed. This settles it. I'll make Tom tie up for the night. He strode from the cabin to return presently with the news that the riverman had agreed to turn toward shore. Running so close to that other boat gave him a good scare, he informed his sister triumphantly. He says he's willing to tie up for the night now. Good enough, Mary replied. I'm glad he's coming to his senses. There's no use risking our lives trying to get away when the police aren't even on our trail. We can go on again in the morning when the river isn't on the rampage. Buttoning his slicker more tightly about him, Bud Mason again stepped out into the cold. As he opened the cabin door, a cold blast of wind rattled the window, and Nancy caught a glimpse of angry waters washing in great sheets over the decks. She was relieved that Tom Tozzle had agreed to halt, for it was a mystery to her how the little boat had managed to keep afloat. Then, too, if they tied up for the night, there was a possibility that she might find a means of escape. Several minutes elapsed, and from the sound of the motor, Nancy knew that they must be approaching shore. Mary Mason rose from the cot and staggered over to the window. We're coming up to the dock, she observed, more to herself than for Nancy's benefit. Suddenly, she gave a wild scream of terror. Ah! There's a yacht bearing right down on us! Oh, we're going to hit! Above the roar and whistle of the wind, Nancy heard Bud cry out in a hoarse voice, About, Tom! About! Nancy struggled frantically with her bonds, but was helpless. Before she had time to cry out, there came a terrific crash and the sound of splintering wood. Then Nancy Drew felt herself hurled headlong across the cabin. Chapter 22 Sinking At the wheel of the motorboat, Tom Tozzle had failed to recognize the danger until it was too late. Not until the bow of a large private yacht suddenly loomed out of the darkness did he attempt to bring the boat about. As the two boats came together with a sickening crash, it seemed that the smaller craft must split from end to end. Cries of alarm went up from the yacht. Bud braced himself for the impact, and though his arms were nearly torn from their sockets, he managed to hold to the side of the boat. Tom Tozzle fared less fortunately. He was hurled overboard. 
for an instant after his companion had been flung into the river, Bud stared stupidly at the black, swirling water, as though unable to comprehend what had happened. "'Tom can't swim a stroke,' he muttered. Nervously, his hands clenched and unclenched, but the current was running swiftly, and he lacked the courage to attempt a rescue. Rather than risk his own life, he would see his friend drown before his eyes. As he stood trembling at the rail, watching the spot where Tom Tozzle had disappeared, a peculiar crackling noise caused him to wheel about. For the first time, he became aware that the boat was listing sharply, and the crackling sound made him think that a fire had started from the engine. In another moment, the flame might reach the gasoline supply. He darted into the cabin. Come on, Mary, he shouted. We've got to get out of this. The motorboat may blow up. Hurry. Where's Tom? Flung overboard? Didn't you save him? I couldn't. The current's too high. Come on, or we'll both be blown sky high. Bud grasped his sister by the hand and dragged her toward the door. But she held back. The jewels, Bud! We need to get them! There isn't any time. There may be an explosion. And anyhow, this boat is listing more every minute. But we can't go without them. I tell you, we must. The boat that rammed us may belong to the government patrol. They'd jail us in a minute if we were caught with the loot. Come on! Against her will, Mary was dragged to the door. As she looked out and saw the water was washing over the deck, she became panic-stricken. We'll never make sure, she wailed. I can't swim a stroke. The boat's almost up to the dock. We can jump for it. Bud glanced back and saw Nancy lying on the floor where she had been flung at the time of the collision. How about it, he demanded of his sister. Shall we cut her loose? He groped in his pocket for a knife, but Mary grasped his hand roughly. Don't be a fool. But we can't let her drown. Who's to know? The boat will sink before anyone can get to her. But if we set her free, she'll tell everything she knows, and that will mean our finish. Come along before it's too late. Bud closed the door of the cabin, and Nancy was left to her fate. In deserting their captive, Mary and Bud Mason assumed that they had left her securely bound and gagged. But such was not the case. When Nancy had been flung to the floor by the crash, the gag across her mouth had loosened. At first, she was too stunned to realize what had happened, and it was not until the cabin door closed behind Mary and Bud that she found her voice. Help! Help! she screamed. There was no answering cry. Cold sweat broke out on Nancy's brow as she realized that there was little hope of a rescue. She could feel the boat listing. At any moment, it might plunge beneath the waves. She tugged desperately at the cords which left her a prisoner, and again she raised her voice in the frantic call, Help! There was a long moment of silence, a moment which to Nancy Drew seemed an eternity. Then, from far away, she heard an answering shout, Hello there, what's the matter? Save me! Save me! Nancy screamed as loudly as she could. I'm locked up in the cabin! From the vicinity of the dock, she heard an excited murmur of voices. Someone shouted, Don't let those two persons get away until we find out what's up! Though Nancy Drew was fearful lest the motorboat sink before help reached her, she was calm enough to be pleased that Mary and Bud Mason had been apprehended. When it seemed to her that she was surely doomed, the door of the cabin was flung open. "'What's the matter?' a gruff voice demanded. "'The door isn't locked and the boat's touching the dock. Why don't you step out?' "'I'm... I'm bound!' At the time of the accident, the cabin light had been extinguished. Someone now lighted a match, and there was a chorus of exclamations as Nancy was disclosed on the floor. "'Get her out of here quickly!' one of the men shouted. This boat'll go down any minute. To Nancy's relief, someone darted over to her and cut the thongs. She sprang to her feet, but her limbs were so numb that she would have fallen had not one of the men grasped her by the arm. As she was rushed to the door, she thought of the Crandall jewels. 
but knew that there was no time to stop for them. She was half dragged and half carried along the deck to the span of water which separated the boat from the dock. Jump! one of the men commanded sharply. Blindly, Nancy jumped. As her feet struck the dock, willing hands reached out to aid her. The three men who had saved her sprang after her and likewise reached safety. Just in time, someone murmured. Nancy, still weak from the ordeal through which she had just gone, wheeled about and gazed toward the motorboat. She saw that it was rapidly sinking. The Crandall jewels, she thought miserably. They'll go to the bottom of the river. She dared not go back to the cabin, and yet there must be some way to save Emily's inheritance. Frantically, she glanced up and down the dock, and then out across the water. She saw that the yacht was standing by, close to the sinking motorboat, and a sudden idea came to her. Running along the dock, she stood opposite the yacht and hailed the captain who was at the rail. Don't let that motorboat sink, she cried. There's a valuable cargo inside. Can't you use grappling hooks and save it? We'll try, miss, came the reassuring response. Now that Nancy Drew had done all she could to save the Crandall jewels, she recalled what Bud had told his sister about leaving Tom Tozzle to drown. Horrified at such inhumanity, she glanced toward the inky waters, willing, if need be, to attempt to rescue herself. I'm afraid it's too late, she told herself. However, at that moment a cry went up from the crowd, which had gathered on the dock. Nancy turned just in time to see two bedraggled men climbing out of the river. She recognized Tom Tozzle instantly and knew that the other man had saved him. I'm glad he was rescued, she told herself. The charitable thought was not of long duration. For the next instant, she saw Tom Tozzle tear himself away from the man who was holding him, heading for a group of old buildings and sheds near the dock. He ran like one possessed. Stop him, Nancy yelled. Don't let him get away. He's a thief. Chapter 23 Captured As Nancy Drew cried out in alarm, several persons broke from the crowd on the dock and ran after Tom Tozzle. They chased him across the road and were rapidly gaining on him when he slipped behind a group of old shacks and vanished. Oh, I hope they get him, Nancy murmured. Since her rescue from the ill-fated motorboat, events had transpired so quickly that she had not had time to think of Mary Mason and her brother. Her first thought had been to save the Crandall jewels. Now, as she pushed her way through the crowd, she wondered if the two had managed to escape. It was, therefore, with relief that she caught a glimpse of them as the light from a lantern fell full upon their faces. They were being questioned by a man who wore a naval officer's uniform. Nancy guessed from what she had overheard while still a prisoner in the cabin that they had been captured the moment they leaped from the motorboat. Undoubtedly, her own cries for help had made their hasty departure appear suspicious. She must accost them before they gave an improvised story which might gain them release. Eagerly, she pushed forward. It may be as you say, she heard the naval officer tell them, but I can't let you go until the police come. The police! Mary fairly shrieked. With a vicious jerk of her arm, she freed herself from the retaining grasp and broke through the crowd, striking out furiously at those who would have blocked her path. Her action was a signal for Bud to do likewise. Before the astonished officer realized what was going on, he wriggled free and ran in the opposite direction from that Mary had taken. Stop them, Nancy shouted. They're both thieves. Don't let them get away. A few of the persons on the dock made a half-hearted attempt to stop the two, but for the most part, they were too astonished to realize what it all meant. Fortunately, the naval officer was quick to recover himself and darted through the crowd after Bud. Nancy did not stand idle. Quick as a flash, she was after Mary. The girl had the start of her by a dozen yards, but Nancy was an excellent runner, 
and in this instance she was spurred on by righteous anger. Mary cast an anxious glance over her shoulder and saw that she was being overtaken. Bending her head low, she increased her speed, throwing every iota of her strength into the mad race for freedom. Nancy ran easily, but she too doubled her efforts. Mary reached the road, but there she was overtaken. Nancy reached out and grasped her by the shoulder, but the girl managed to squirm away. She darted off again, but a dozen long strides brought Nancy even with her. This time she did not attempt to hold her, but getting a trifle ahead, tripped her up. As Mary went sprawling on the ground, she emitted a cry of rage. I guess the tables are turned this time, Nancy observed dryly. Mary gave her a glance of hatred and tried to scramble to her feet. Oh, no, you won't, Nancy said, and promptly sat down on her. She was not required to maintain such strict vigilance, for just then, several men ran up to take charge of the girl. What's the idea? one of them demanded. Has she stolen something? No, I haven't, Mary spit out. Let me go or I'll have you all arrested for this outrage. Keep a close watch on her, Nancy directed calmly, and will someone please call the police? Assured that there was no danger of Mary's making another break for freedom, she hurried to the dock to find out what had become of Bud. To her relief, she saw that the naval officer had collared him and was dragging him off by main force. We have them all now except Tom Tozzle, Nancy exclaimed. They've caught him too, someone in the crowd observed. A moment later, two men came up with the riverman in custody. From his battered appearance, it was obvious that there had been a scuffle and that he had not fared particularly well. The fellow's a tough customer, one of the men who had captured him observed. We cornered him in a shed. Have you any charges against these three persons? the naval officer questioned, turning politely to Nancy. Indeed I have. They're criminals of the worst sort. First, they stole $40,000 worth of jewels from a friend of mine, and— It's a lie! It's a lie! Mary Mason broke in. And I happen to know that they are wanted for a number of smaller thefts, Nancy continued, without paying the slightest attention to the interruption. Then— when I discovered what they were about, they made me a prisoner and took me aboard their boat, bound hand and foot. When we were rammed by the yacht, they left me to drown. That's so, the two men who had rescued Nancy confirmed this statement. When we found her, she was tied up all right. The motorboat was running without lights, a quiet voice put in. Otherwise, my yacht wouldn't have run her down. Everyone turned and saw that an elderly, dignified man in uniform had joined the group. Nancy instantly recognized him as the captain of the yacht. This is Captain Dudley, the naval officer said by way of introduction. There isn't a more careful man on the river. You can depend on his word. For the benefit of Captain Dudley, Nancy repeated her story. But when she had finished, Mary Mason again denied the accusations made against her. It's all a trumped-up story, she repeated. It's true she was tied up and gagged, but for very good reason. We, we caught her trying to steal our jewels. That's right, but agreed quickly. Nancy Drew was aghast at the statement. For a moment, she was so taken aback that she could not say a word. And Mary was quick to press her advantage. It's only her word against the three of us, she declared boldly. Let her prove her story if she can. Captain Dudley glanced at Nancy with troubled eyes. Can you do that? he asked. Certainly I can if you give me time, Nancy announced quietly. I'm sure the police will have a record. Time! Mary fairly screamed. She wants time so she can get away. Be calm, please, the captain ordered. We'll thrash this thing out. If her story is true... Let her produce the jewels she claims we stole, Mary continued. She cast a triumphant glance at Nancy, feeling that she had scored heavily. I'm afraid I can't do that, Nancy admitted reluctantly. The jewels were in the motorboat, 
and it sank to the bottom of the river. That's just an excuse, Mary retorted. The jewels were never in the boat. We'll have a way of proving whether or not your story is true, Captain Dudley said quietly. As it happens, the motorboat isn't on the bottom of the river. What? Mary gasped. For the moment, she was completely taken aback. Thanks to the timely suggestion of this young lady you are accusing, my men slung grappling hooks into the boat, and we managed to keep her afloat. Oh, I'm so glad, Nancy exclaimed in relief. All right, Mary said viciously. Let her find the jewels if she claims they're on board. That's all I've got to say. You can do that, miss. The captain hesitated, as he remembered that he had not heard Nancy's name. Drew, she supplied automatically. Drew? Captain Dudley repeated in astonishment. You're not any relation to Carson Drew by any chance. He's my father. By Jove, I know him well. He turned to the crowd with decision. Gentlemen, I can vouch for this girl. Her father is a famous criminal lawyer in River Heights. The captain's words had an effect upon the bystanders, and it was obvious that they were again swinging over to Nancy's side. Call the police, they began to murmur. You're not giving us a fair chance, Mary insisted in her most injured manner. All we ask is that Nancy Drew produce the jewels. Perhaps the matter can be settled more quickly if you do, the captain suggested to Nancy. Of course you know where to find them. Yes, Nancy murmured uncomfortably. I, I think so. She knew by the pleased look that Mary Mason shot her, that the girl felt she had won her battle. She thinks I shan't be able to find the jewels, she told herself grimly. And maybe I shan't. Though she confidently believed that the Crandall jewels were hidden somewhere inside the cabin of the motorboat, she was not certain that such was the case. Even if they were, she might not be able to find the hidden compartment. If so, she would stand condemned in the eyes of the crowd. And before she could prove the truth of her story, Mary Mason and her companions would manage to slip away. I've got to find those jewels, she told herself. Everything depends upon it now. Chapter 24 The Search Miss Drew, you may as well wait in one of the sheds where you'll be out of the rain, Captain Dudley said, addressing Nancy. I'll have the motorboat dragged up to the dock where it will be safe to board her. It will take only a few minutes. Thank you, Nancy replied quietly. Since you're through questioning me, I want to go to a hotel, Mary Mason declared angrily. My clothes are soaking wet, and... If you make the slightest disturbance, we will call the police without waiting for Miss Drew to produce the jewels, the captain told her severely. She can't do it. Take the three prisoners into the boathouse, Captain Dudley ordered. In spite of her protests, Mary was marched along with the others. Though no compulsion was placed upon Nancy, she followed to get out of the rain which had chilled her to the bone. Her serene expression did not disclose that she was troubled, but in reality she was in far from a comfortable state of mind. Only too well she knew that if she failed to produce the Crandall jewels, it would only be a case of her word against that of Mary Mason. If I just knew where to hunt, she told herself anxiously. She was soberly contemplating the work before her when Captain Dudley came to the door to inform her that the motorboat had been brought to the dock. You can go aboard her now, he told her. I insist upon being present when the search is made, Mary put in angrily. Very well, the captain said, after a brief hesitation. I'll give you every opportunity to prove your story. Soberly, Nancy Drew followed the captain to the motorboat while Mary, guarded by the naval officer, brought up the rear. Perhaps I'd better keep all of the bystanders away, the captain suggested to Nancy. Oh, by all means. Not without misgiving, she stepped aboard the boat and entered the cabin. Fortunately, everything was as it had been left at the time of the accident, for the rain had extinguished the fire as quickly as it had started. Critically, Nancy Drew surveyed the room 
wondering where to begin the search. Well, produce the Crandall jewels if you know where they are, Mary brought out triumphantly. Nancy did not make a response, but began to open the drawers of the table. As she had half expected, she found nothing. Undaunted, she made the rounds of the walls, tapping upon them sharply with her knuckles. To her disappointment, there was no indication of a hollow behind any of the panels. Didn't I tell you? Mary demanded of the captain. Now will you let me go? I'm not through searching yet, Nancy said sharply. I know the jewels are hidden here somewhere. Take all the time you need, Captain Dudley told her kindly. Again, Nancy Drew surveyed the room. She could not admit defeat, and yet she was at her wit's end. As her eyes roamed over the walls again, her attention was attracted to a round-faced wall clock, which had stopped at the hour of twelve. The timepiece was very ordinary in appearance, and Nancy might not have given it as much as a second glance had she not chanced to look toward Mary Mason. The girl was staring fixedly at the clock, and for one fleeting instant there was an expression of stark terror in her smoldering eyes. The next moment she looked away from the wall indifferently. But Nancy Drew was not to be deceived. She rushed eagerly over to the clock. It was far above her head, but by mounting upon the cot, she found that she could reach it. Well, of all the silly things, Mary burst out, but there was a tremor to her voice. Quickly, Nancy reached up and opened the glass door of the clock. The cardboard face did not appear to be securely in place, and upon impulse, she began to pry at it with her fingers. Here's my knife, Captain Dudley offered. Thank you. That's just what I need. Nancy took the knife and pried off two tiny screws. The face then dropped down into her hands. Oh, she cried, the secret compartment. I've found it. She had expected to view the works of the clock, but instead beheld a round metal box which fit snugly into the wall. The clock was only a clever sham. To her delight, she found that the metal box could be removed from the wall. Placing it on the table, Nancy surveyed Mary Mason triumphantly. I guess this proves my story, doesn't it? She fumbled with the catch on the box and lifted the lid. There before her was an array of jewels, such as she had never viewed before in her life. Brilliant diamonds mounted in old-fashioned rings and quaint bracelets pendants of rubies, and brooches of sapphires. For a moment, Nancy Drew was so dazzled by the display that she could only stare open-mouthed. My word, Captain Dudley exclaimed, breaking the silence. What a collection! They belong to Emily Crandall, a friend of mine, Nancy explained. I'm afraid some of the jewels are missing. Captain Dudley turned sternly upon Mary. What have you to say for yourself now, young lady? Mary's arrogant air had fallen completely from her. She looked crushed and beaten. Well, I guess you have the goods on me, she admitted with a shrug of her shoulders. Do you admit that Miss Drew's story is true? Yes, I stole the jewels. What have you done with the ones that are missing? Nancy broke in. Out with it, Captain Dudley commanded sharply. It will go harder with you if you try to keep anything back. We pawned several of the diamonds, Mary admitted grudgingly. Where? Nancy demanded. At a pawn shop Tom Tozzle knows about in Winchester. It's a place on Bond Street. I know the locality, Nancy told the captain. It's possible that we'll be able to recover the jewels. I believe it's a law that pawnbrokers must not accept stolen goods. The first thing to do is to land our prisoners in jail, the captain suggested. If you'll take charge of the jewels, Miss Drew, I'll step out and call the police. Within fifteen minutes, the authorities had arrived at the dock, and the three prisoners were handcuffed and hustled into the patrol wagon. 
We've been on the watch for this one nearly a year, one of the policemen told Nancy. She's wanted for half a dozen smaller thefts. You've done a good night's work, young lady. I live in River Heights, Nancy returned with a smile. If you need me to testify, I'll be at your service. After the patrol wagon had departed, the crowd began to disperse. For the first time, Nancy Drew realized that the hour was late. Why, it's after four o'clock in the morning, she said in astonishment as she glanced at her wristwatch. Won't you do me the honor of taking breakfast at my home? Captain Dudley asked. My wife will be delighted. At this hour? Nancy laughed. She shook her head. No, I must get back to River Heights just as quickly as I can. Poor Mrs. Willoughby is under suspicion for the theft of the Crandall jewels, and the police intend to arrest her later this morning. Then of course I won't try to hold you here. When you see your father, give him my kindest regards. I will, Nancy promised, and now, if someone will tell me where I can get a taxi cab... I'll be glad to drive you to River Heights in my car, the naval officer volunteered. If you intend to take those jewels with you, you'll need someone to go along as a guard. Perhaps you're right. I shall be delighted to accept your kind offer. During the night, the storm had blown itself out, and as Nancy Drew stepped into the automobile, she noticed that the sky had cleared. Gazing toward the east, she was surprised to see that the sun was about to peep over the horizon. Oh, she yawned sleepily. It's been a terrible night, but I wouldn't have missed it for anything. I only hope I get home safely with these jewels. As soon as I deliver them, I'm going to bed to sleep for a month. Chapter 25 Nancy's Reward even to the casual wayfarer who chanced to pass Lilac Inn on a certain evening late in July, it must have been apparent that an unusual affair was in progress. The inn was aglow with bright twinkling lights, and the grounds were as clearly illuminated as though it were day. Colored searchlights played over the rippling waters of the lake. From the largest of the private dining rooms, came the soft, blended notes of cello, violin, and harp. Grouped about a long table sat many distinguished-looking men and women, but as they chatted together, one would have noticed that their eyes frequently turned toward a young girl who occupied the seat of honor. Indeed, Nancy Drew had never appeared more lovely than on this evening when she occupied the limelight. Oh, Mrs. Willoughby! It's the grandest party I ever attended, she sighed dreamily, addressing her hostess. It was perfectly marvelous of you and Emily to give it for me. I don't deserve it at all. Here, here, several of the guests laughed. My dear Nancy, Mrs. Willoughby said with a bright smile, I owe you more than I can ever repay. Why, if it hadn't been for you, I would probably be in jail at this very minute and she shuddered a bit. Surely not as bad as that, Carson Drew remarked lightly. They couldn't have held you on such flimsy evidence. But I would have been arrested, Mrs. Willoughby insisted, and that would have been dreadfully mortifying. Nancy saved me a great deal of embarrassment. She saved more than that for me, Emily Crandall broke in. I'd never have seen my jewels again if she hadn't found them for me. Did you finally recover them all? Mrs. Potter questioned with interest. I thought part of them had been pawned. Nancy got them all back for me, Emily declared proudly. That is, all but about three hundred dollars worth, and I can afford to lose that much. You see, she traced them to a pawnbroker in Winchester and had him arrested for accepting stolen goods. He was forced to give everything back. It wasn't really very hard to trace the jewels, Nancy observed quietly. I guess nothing is very hard for you, Mrs. Willoughby laughed. Really, you seem to have a genius for solving mysteries. Speaking of mysteries, Carson Drew broke in, Mrs. Willoughby has never explained to us why she went to the bank vault on the day before she planned to deliver the jewels. 
It was silly of me, wasn't it? And it made the police so suspicious. Well, to tell the truth, I was worried about Emily's jewels, and I wanted to make certain that they were safe in the vault. Of course I knew they would be there, but, well, I guess I'm the nervous sort. The police wouldn't believe me when I told them. Under the circumstance, I suppose it was natural for them to suspect me. The fact that you were known to be in hard circumstance made the case look worse, too, Mr. Drew remarked. Yes, at that time I thought I might have to borrow money, but fortunately, an investment has turned out much better than I expected, so I'm still a woman of means. I guess we were all under suspicion, Mrs. Potter observed dryly. I'm sure Miss Drew considered me as the possible villain. Not seriously, Nancy laughed, though you must admit you didn't take kindly to my questions. No, no, I didn't, Mrs. Potter admitted soberly, and I sincerely apologize for the way I failed to cooperate. You see, at first I thought you were trying to throw suspicion on me, and I was afraid to tell you anything. And then there was that young woman, Viola Granger, Mr. Drew remarked. She attracted my attention because of her prison record. I wasn't able to explain her sudden acquisition of money. Where did she get it? Mrs. Willoughby inquired curiously. I never heard. In a perfectly legitimate manner. I have been told she invested in a wildcat oil scheme, and as luck would have it, they brought in a gusher. And poor Jennings, Emily said reflectively. We did him an injustice. I was positive he was the one who took the handbag. Mrs. Willoughby said regretfully. However, I've tried to make it up to him by giving him a generous present. I'm glad to see that Lilacin is doing thriving business again, too, Mr. Drew remarked. For a time it looked as though the scandal might ruin the trade. The manager certainly has Nancy to thank, Emily said earnestly. Nancy laughed. She's done it already. This afternoon, she told me that any time I wanted to, I could come out here for dinner and bring my friends, and it wouldn't cost me a cent. It's mighty nice to have a smart little daughter, Mr. Drew declared with a twinkle in his eyes. Reduces the board bill, for one thing. Dad, you mercenary creature. Seriously, though, I am proud of you, Nancy. A tender note crept into the lawyer's voice. It was a clever piece of detective work. I admit that when you started out, I didn't have much hope that you'd solve the case. I was doubtful myself, Dad, especially when they tied me up and left me on that motorboat to drown. Mr. Drew shook his head sadly. You'll worry me into an early grave with all your wild adventures. I hope not, because I intend to have a lot more, Nancy returned gaily. And she did, as you will find in reading of her further adventures in solving mysteries. After all, I'm only following in your footsteps. Well, all's well that ends well. That Mason girl and her confederates are locked up where they'll make no more trouble. I didn't hear how the trial came out, Mrs. Potter remarked. They admitted their guilt, Mr. Drew returned, so there wasn't a trial. The judge gave them long sentences. They were wanted for a number of other robberies. It's a wonder that girl didn't steal Mrs. Stonewall blind when she worked there, Emily observed. Yes, Nancy agreed. When I learned that she hadn't taken anything, I was thrown off the track a little. I suppose she was planning a big haul and was discharged before she could carry her plans into effect. Mrs. Stonewall was lucky to escape without having her whole house carted away. She called me on the telephone yesterday, said Nancy and thanked me for being instrumental in Mary's capture. I guess she read the account in the newspaper. I think everyone must have thanked you except me, Emily said soberly. Why, Emily Crandall, what do you mean? It seems to me you've thanked me a million times a day ever since I got those jewels back. But I mean in a material way. You ought to charge a commission for recovering the jewels. Let me see. Ten percent of forty thousand dollars would be. I don't do business that way, Nancy laughed. You know very well I won't take a penny of your money. 
Nancy has always made it a point never to accept a money reward, Carson Drew stated, coming to his daughter's aid. Oh, dear, I was afraid she wouldn't. And, for that reason, I came prepared. As she spoke, Emily brought out a small package and handed it to Nancy with a flourish. There, she cried, don't you dare refuse to accept it either. Why, Emily, what are you giving me? Nancy asked in surprise as she fumbled at the silver ribbon. It's just a souvenir to show you how much I appreciate all you've done for me. Nancy unwrapped the little package while the others watched eagerly. As the folds of tissue paper fell away, she beheld the gift. A beautiful bracelet, set with precious stones. It was one of the quaintest pieces in the Crandall collection. Oh, Emily, Nancy gasped in delight. Oh, how lovely. You can have the jewels reset if you like. Oh, I wouldn't think of it. I love it the way it is. But really, I shouldn't take this bracelet, Emily. It represents a great deal of money. It's little enough to offer you for everything you've done. You'll keep it, won't you? Nancy hesitated and then nodded her head. She saw that Emily would be crushed if she refused the gift, and then she would have found it difficult to have given back such an exquisite piece of jewelry. After she had thanked her friend for the gift, someone proposed a toast. And to Nancy's embarrassment, everyone sprang to his feet to give it with a will. At last, however, the party broke up. Nancy was turning to leave when Emily drew her aside and led her out upon the veranda. There's something special I wanted to tell you, but I didn't like to shout it out when the others could hear, she began in a confidential tone of voice. Dick and I are going to be married next month. Oh, I'm so glad, Emily. I wish you all happiness and prosperity. Thank you. I want to ask a special favor. Go ahead. Will you serve as maid of honor at my wedding? <gasps> Anything you like, Emily. I'll even be ring bearer if you ask it. Oh, I knew you wouldn't fail me. It seems as though I have more happiness than I deserve. Emily gazed out across the lake and gave the gentle sigh of the lovelorn. Nancy squeezed her hand understandingly. She, too, turned to watch the twinkling lights on the water. The end of a perfect night, Nancy Drew said softly, and what could be more fitting than that the mystery of the Crandall jewels should fade out just where it began, at Lilac Inn. The End This is your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we begin a new book, you can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.